<laughs> it's not what you say, it's how you say it. All right, 1 Samuel 17 is where we're headed today. So turn your Bible this morning to have it with you to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to look at today a story that you probably know well once we start talking about it. You say, oh yeah, I know about that story because it's very popular and it's well known in the Old Testament story we talk about today. It is David and Goliath. Now over the years, David and Goliath have become kind of a popular favorite bedtime story. You may have actually heard it the first time when you parents read it to you at bedtime many years ago. But if you haven't heard it maybe for bedtime, maybe you've heard it somewhat used in the sports arena because a lot of times now it seems to be the David versus Goliath and is an illustration used when a powerhouse team takes on a very smaller, weaker team. It'd be like the powerhouse team of the once great Indiana Hoosiers taking on the smaller, weaker team of the Purdue Boilermakers. Chris was looking at me. I think he knew where it was going. To... But, but now, it's the opposite. Purdue seems to be more dominant than Indiana, unfortunately. What do you think, Claudette? <laughs> but it's sometimes used in their sports analogy where they have this dominant team that's taken over this as against a weaker opponent. Now, maybe the best example of this being used in a sports analogy was the movie Hoosiers many years ago. If you've seen the movie, then you know it's based upon an actual high school setting in 1954 of the Milan High School team taking on that great big powerhouse team in South Bend. Of course, it's changed a little bit in the movie where you have this fictionalized Hickory High School like with a Roman of 160 or whatever, taking on this big South Bend team. But it's based upon the reality of what happened many years ago in 1954 when Milan did have this great upset against the powerhouse team from South Bend in Indiana basketball. So we see it used that way quite a bit. But the story that we're going to look at today that we know well is much more than some smaller, weaker, overcoming a bigger opponent. It's really a story of and the, the efforts of one man who stood up for God. It's also a story about the awesome power of a life built around faith and trust in the Lord. But it's also then, as you see behind me with the kind of the title, David and Goliath is a story or an illustration of confidence, trust, and victory. So let us read then the portion of the story of David versus Goliath. The entire chapter really has all the specifics for the, the event or the story. It's 58 verses. We're not going to read all 58 verses. What we are going to do is start in verse 31 and then read through verse 50. So stay with me this morning as we do to simply honor the reading of the word. And we're going to start in verse 31 of 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to get a good portion of the story. We're certainly going to get the confrontation itself in verses 31 through 50. And here's what the Word of God tells this morning. Of course, we'll dissect slightly and apply it in a moment, but let's read the text first. Verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. But as Saul clothed David with his armor, he put on a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them on. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give you your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord. And he'll give you into our hand. But when the Philistine arose and came near, came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put the hand, his hand in his back, and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. We'll stop there. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this reading today. And we ask, Lord, to review an Old Testament account, a very familiar story with us, Lord. We've heard countless times before. We would take this story today and understand it maybe a little better, but also, Lord, see how what happened with David, of his confidence, faith, and trust he had in you, can also be displayed in our lives of how we have confidence, faith, and trust in you in the lives we live today. So we ask, Lord, that you'll lead us and guide us. The Spirit will certainly be prevalent here today and will let us learn from the text, but see how it applies to us in our modern day. We thank you for what we shall learn and apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, the entire story of David versus Goliath, as I mentioned earlier, is 58 verses through the first chapter, uh, through 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. But it could also be divided into scenes. I chose not today to divide it into scenes, but here we have a particular scene 
of the 58 verses that actually is the largest of any scene you have written within the 58. Here we have, as you can probably see for yourself, a display of courage and love and the confidence that David has in the Almighty God. And maybe the text itself in the verses we read really needs no elaboration. I mean, as the scene begins to unfold, we can see for ourselves how things develop. I mean, you can see, obviously, as David is confronting Goliath, the Philistine, he is not at all deterred. I mean, he was not impressed by the Philistine, especially considering his height and his armor. But perhaps to make sure we have the full extent of knowing what David's competition, who his opposition is in Goliath, to know we fully know well and remind ourselves of the extent of Goliath's stature and size and body wear, let us review the verses that tell us that. The specifics are given in the beginning of the chapter in verses 4 through 7. And it happens to be that these verses actually are the most detailed of any verses throughout the 58 in this particular chapter. So look with me in verse 4 as it begins to describe this gigantic man. In verse 4, as then there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose type was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. That's the description of what David is against. I mean, what a man. The first striking feature that stands out as you look into the description of Goliath is perhaps his height. The text tells us how tall Goliath is. It tells us that he's actually six cubits in the span. The ancient texts disagree on this, but the Hebrew specifically states it is six cubits in the span. Now, I don't know anybody here today that is being measured by a cubit. Anybody being measured by a cubit in your height? If you go to school or whatever, they take your height. If you go to the doctor, they take your height. They don't measure you by a cubit. So to make sure we understand the size of Goliath and what a cubit is, then we have to equate it to our English equivalent. And it happens to be that six cubits in the span is about nine feet nine inches tall. Nine feet nine inches. Now, for comparison purposes, I wanted to know how that looked in modern day. So I looked up and found that in modern times, the tallest man was Robert Wadlow, who attained the height of 8 feet 11.1 inches before his death in 1940. That's pretty tall. 8 feet 11.1 inches. But it was not the height of the Goliath. So I thought, well, let me go a little further. So I want to know, just in America... How tall is the average height of a man? The average man, according to Wikipedia, all right, the average man is the height in America of five feet nine and a half inches. Five feet nine and a half inches is the average size of a man in this country. I thought, well, what country has the tallest average height of a man? It happened to be the Netherlands, which is just over six feet. So I thought, well, let me maybe put this in better perspective. 
My height as I stand before you is five feet, eight inches, give or take some days. If I put some boots on, some other shoes, it might give or take a little bit. I've noticed as I get older, I might be getting a little bit smaller. It just seems to happen. But it's five feet, eight inches. According to my driver's license, I'm five feet, eight inches. How tall am I? Five, eight. Okay, so I figure if I want to be Goliath, I got to do this. I got to add four feet to my head. So this is Goliath. If I'm 5'8", and he's 9'9", I got four feet, roughly, right? So this would be the size. Now, you like the character? I mean, here I am this level. Here I am at that level. I get better looking as I get taller, don't I? Yeah. So there I am. That's 9 feet, 9 inches. I have to add four feet to my height to be the size of Goliath. And I'm still short by an inch. But Goliath's height... As we think about the text that David is facing, the opposition, is that the only thing mentioned in this scene? Look with me again in these verses. And notice as I just says height, it's his armor. Verses 5 through 7 give us the full account of the armor this man has. He wore a brass bronze helmet on his head, a coat of mail, which is scale-type armor, a bronze which weighed 5,000 shekels. We don't weigh ourselves in shekels. I mean, to tell you my weight in shekels would really sound really ridiculous. So 5,000 shekels is the equivalent of 125 pounds. That's what this man's wearing. The coat he's wearing would have made the brass plates or bronze lined up on each other like fish scales. It's not just all he has on his back, between his shoulders, a bronze javelin. The spear in his hand was as big as a weaver's beam, according to verse 7, and his iron pointed weighed like 600 shekels. Again, we don't measure that way, so it's 15 pounds. So the dude's 9 feet 9, wearing 125 pounds of armor. He got a shield with a tip on it of 15 pounds. I'm thinking, wow, this is what David is facing. David is, he may not be my height, and he's facing this type of man. And if that's not enough, notice the text also tells us in verse 7, the very end, he has a shield bearer, Goliath does, going before him, carrying a large shield to protect his entire body. Now, I'm not sure if we can fully picture the extent of Goliath with his armor, the shield bearer, his javelin, everything he's possibly wearing. But I had to think of some sort of analogy, some sort of comparison. And the only thing I began to imagine in my mind to, to make sure you kind of put it in a way of knowing what Goliath is wearing was a major league baseball catcher. And it fails in comparison. So it don't matter who your favorite major league baseball catcher is. And it could be Yachty, which happened to be my mom for years. Or it could be... Gary Carter, it could be Buster Posey. Mine would happen to be Johnny Bench, was my all-time favorite catcher. But you take a look at what the catcher's wearing. He's got this, he's got this helmet and mask on, right, to protect the skull. He has the, the chest gear on to protect his chest, his heart. He has the leg protectors on as well. That's similar in extent to Goliath. I mean, he has all these different things on, but Goliath is so much more Goliath has the helmet, he has a chest gear, he has the leg protectors, but it's much more intense because 
while Johnny Bench is trying to protect himself from a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, Goliath is trying to protect himself from spears and javelins and random arrows. All these things being shot at him. Maybe the overarching point I'm trying to make is this. Goliath considered himself completely invincible. But so did the Israelites. They shared the same estimate of the situation. That this gigantic man with all this armor on is completely invincible. But not David. Now, David was not impressed with the stature of this gigantic man from Gath or of his demeanor or the seemingly invincibility of this Philistine. He was not impressed. But rather, David, he was kind of appalled, disgusted, and sickened that someone would be so defiant to God. Warren Worsby notes that David's response to Goliath, his arrogant speech, was that of total disgust. David asked, who was this uncircumcised Philistine to blaspheme the name of the God of Israel? Because keep in mind that David was too young to serve in the army. But he was acting as though anybody in the camp who had failed in Jehovah, who had faith in Jehovah, could challenge Goliath and defeat him. All he saw were men fleeing from the field at the very sight of the giant. And even King Saul was terrified, but not David. God had brought David to the camp for such a time as this and was ready to accept the challenge. I like how Worsby kind of sums up what's happening here in this text with David versus Goliath. And he points out to something maybe we shouldn't react, uh, dismiss too quickly. I mean, note that all the fighting men, all the fighting men were in fear of Goliath. And people like David's brothers. In verse 13, if you go back and read the entire text, you're going to find and discovered that David's brothers were among the fighting men of Israel. Again, yeah, David himself was too young, but his brothers were old enough to be in the army. They were fearful. It also tells us twice, in verse 11 and in verse 24, that all the other men were greatly afraid. In verse 11, it says, When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 24, similarly, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. The text will even allude to the fact that even Saul himself is afraid. So it seems that no one other than David had any courage to stand up to this mighty Philistine. According to everybody else's actions, Goliath was invincible. He was unbeatable. He was unconquerable. Certainly matchless, indestructible, and they thought he was supreme. But David, recognizing the Philistines' daily routine of taunting and complete defiance of God, said basically, enough is enough. How dare you? How dare you defy the living God? And so then one small, ruddy shepherd boy took some action. Now it's notable as we recognize that, that as David began to take action, as we've already read in the text, and began to go back to again in just a moment, that many were skeptical. Observe the skeptics in verse 33. Saul tried to talk David out of going up against Goliath. 
Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. He has been a man of war from his very from his, from his youth. So he, I mean, David has skeptics in, in the camp, and he, but David was determined and persistent. Notice and further in the text, he gives Saul his credentials, kind of his resume. He said to Saul, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for the father. When he came, when there was a lion or bear, or they took a lamb from the flock, David went after him, struck him, delivered out of his mouth. Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. As you hear that, David pronouncing to Saul that he can take care of business, we, we find it's not Saul's, it's not David's first rodeo. I mean, he's been there, done that. He's gone up against some ferocious animals that tells him specifically the lions and the bear, and maybe there's even more. So notice, if you will, David was confident. David was confident that he could emerge successfully against this Philistine. He was confident. He was confident that he could go against Goliath and emerge successful in the name of the Lord. Now, we should stop for just a moment. I've said a couple of times that David is confident. And some people may view the story a little different. They may say, it's not confidence, it's cockiness. I don't see that. I see David purely confident. So we stop for a moment and make sure we understand David was not cocky. He was not arrogant and boastful and brash. He was simply confident. You with me? David was confident. So the question maybe we need to ask ourselves as I emphasize that David was confident is where did David's confidence come from? Because remember, all the Psalms, all the army, all the Israelites are fearful and afraid of Goliath. Now, we acknowledge Goliath's size. Goliath was a big man. He's wearing his armor. All the bookies at Vegas would have had great odds against David and in favor of Goliath. But this little, ruddy shepherd boy was full of confidence. Where does the confidence come from? Which is our first point. David's confidence was not upon himself or anything that he had done, his confidence was simply in God. It was in God. Knowing that the Lord is on his side, David offers to fight Goliath. Verse 37, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. His confidence was in God. I mean, note that the odds are actually, with David's confidence in God, the odds are actually stacked in David's favor. And the forthcoming confrontation that we've read, even though David is small in size, it is much more even than either Saul or Goliath ever thought it would have been. I mean, Goliath certainly took one to David and thought, I've got this. Saul tried to talk him out of it. But the odds are actually stacked in David's favor with God on his side. The odds are stacked in David's favor. David was confident in God's deliverance, which means he had the right perspective. 
And what a difference perspective can make. Because most of the onlookers only saw a giant. David, however, he saw a mortal man simply defying the Almighty God. He knew he would not be alone when he faced Goliath, that God would fight with him. He simply looked at the situation from the point of view of God. Viewing impossible situations from God's point of view helps us put problems in perspective. We think we have these impossibilities in life because we look at it from our point of view. But we look at it from God's point of view, it helps put things in perspective. And once we see clearly, then we can be much more effective. I mean, the question really we need to ask ourselves when we think all this now for application is what giants do you have in your life that is cause, causing you to have blurred vision? I mean, do you have confidence in Almighty God that can deliver you from your fears, from your struggles, from your trials, your difficulties? Those are the giants that we face in everyday life. Those difficulties and fears and struggles, we all have them. Those are our giants. Those are the Goliaths that's keeping us from being all that God wants us to be. We must have confidence in God. And David illustrates for us his full confidence and power he has in God. Because David, you know, David, David can have the confidence in God. Because, I mean, he's kind of been there and done that. I mean, he's like, he, he's been there, done that, got that t-shirt because he has experience. David has experienced the power of God in his own life. And he knew the Lord could turn his weakness into power. I mean, remember, he... He cared for the sheep. He had killed the lion and the bear. So he knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that the Lord would deliver him out of the hand of Goliath. As verse 36 stated, it's as though he sees Goliath as just another animal attacking God's flock. So our first point, David's confidence was not upon himself or anything he had done that he had attacked the, the bear and the lion, his confidence was simply in God. His confidence was in God. As we acknowledge that first point, let's go back to something we alluded to just a moment ago. David, I mentioned earlier, had some skeptics in camp. Saul, again, was certainly one of them. I think it's fair to say that Goliath himself was a great skeptic and maybe a critic as well. But I bring it back up because it leads us now into a second point of application, which is this. In spite of the criticism and skepticism, David trusted the Lord his God, and God rewarded his faith. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your path. Remember at the beginning of the message, I mentioned this story is much more than some smaller, weaker person or opponent overcoming one greater. It's a story. This is a story of courage and effort of one young man who stood up for God. I mentioned how it's a story of the awesome power of a life built around both faith and the Lord. It's a story of confidence, trust, and victory. We've seen David's confidence. 
And now we're about to see his trust. I mean, David's life was one that had tremendous amount of trust and faith in God. I mean, that's what the story illustrates for us. David's unparalleled trust and faith in God. Even when the people around David thought he was small, out-armed, ruddy, he had no chance. David illustrated his trust and faith in God and acted courageously. He acted courageously when others stood silent and fearful. We need to pause for a moment and reflect upon where courage, like the courage David had, where does it come from? And there's three sources I thought of that which courage can come from. Number one, it comes from trusting in something completely. David trusted completely in God. A second source, perhaps, of, of, of courage is a greater fear of what will happen if you don't act. And David's fear was then that if he didn't take some action and, and stand up to this giant Philistine, then he would continue to taunt the, the Israelites but also defy God. He couldn't stand that any longer. Which goes into the third source of courage, which is love. I mean, love can be motivated by your love for God, love for others, or your children, whatever, but David simply loved the Lord. He could not stand it. Of the defiance that Goliath had towards the Israelites and God. I mean, so David was a spirit-led man of faith, which provided his courage. And his every decision had to be for the will of God, but ultimately for the glory of God. Everything he had to do was for the glory of God, not for himself. But he fully trusted that God would provide for him in the midst of the battle. Which maybe brings us to the final point for this morning of the text concerning David and Goliath. That this was not really David's victory. It was the Lord's victory. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you, against your enemies, to give you victory. It's really the Lord's victory. I mean, it's unfortunate this dramatic account that we know so well is considered a children's story or the basis of a defeating the giants in sports and life. I mean, there's many applications that maybe could happen in this passage. But there's really only one basic interpretation, and the interpretation here is that David did what he did for the glory of God. David came to the contest in the name of the Lord, the God of armies of Israel, and he wanted Goliath, the Philistine army that's with Goliath, and all the earth to know there's only one true God. I mean, in the story, it's important to note that Goliath had ridiculed Israel's God. He blasphemed his name. In verse 10, early in the text, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man to be fight together. In verse 16, actually, it tells us that he would go out and defy God 40 days and 40 nights. It wasn't like it just happened once or twice. It's repetitious over and over again. So David knows this. He comes up on the scene and he recognizes the situation. He has confidence in God. He has faith and trust in God. And he knows God will be with him during the battle. 
So David, then, as he says, all this unfold, is about to make the record straight. David saw a contest between the true God of Israel and the false God of Philistines. And he was determined to shine for God. Ultimately, what the Lord did through David would be recorded then and, and told around the world and bring, bring great honor and fame to the name of the Lord. You don't see David taking credit in the text. David gives the credit where the credit is due to God. Maybe the point then is this. If we think about David, his actions in bringing glory to God, maybe we need to recognize that God wants to use you and me, his people, to magnify his name to all the nations of the earth. A lot of times when we pray, Sheila said just a moment ago, and I say it a lot of times when we get ready to leave, that everything we do, say, think, should all be done to honor God and to give him the glory. So is that what we're doing? Are you doing things in your life for your own fame, recognition, and glory? Or are you doing things in life for the glory of God? We should do everything in life for his glory. For his fame, not for us. I mean, it's not about us. I mean, today we simply review a, a Old Testament story we know very well. And, and many points that we had today of application may help us understand the story a little differently. And we had seen how David's confidence was not upon himself, rather in God. We've seen that David trusted the Lord and God rewarded his faith. And then we see ultimately it's not David's victory, it's God's victory. We see confidence, we see trust, and we see victory in the story. But we also spend it now to recognize there's bigger things in life than you and me. It's not about us. We're not all that in a bag of chips. We may think that we are, but we aren't. We're not hot sauce. We're not mustard. That's stuff you put on burgers and dogs. It's not about us. The things in life that we do should not bring attention upon ourselves, but upon the mighty God we serve. Give him the glory. David defeated Goliath. An epic battle. But he gave God the glory. And in what we do, we also should give God the glory. Final illustration to me make the point is this. An Australian pastor was introducing James Hudson Taylor. You may not know exactly who James Hudson Taylor is, but he was the founder of the China Inland, Mission, Inland Missions. I mean, the mission movement for China was all founded by James Hudson Taylor. And so at this particular moment, when he's, the Australian pastor is about to introduce James Hudson Taylor, he was very impressed with Taylor's work and the things he had done in China and establishing his mission there. And China's a tough country to penetrate. So he used some very impressive words to describe him. But Taylor, as he came to the stage after the introduction, said those words were all flattering that was being used by an Australian pastor. He said the truth ultimately is this. I am the very little servant of an illustrious master. Those words could also be used to describe David and his account of his face off against Goliath. David could have easily said, 
and someone was giving him the praise to glory, he could have said, no, I am the very little servant of an illustrious master. It was not about David. It was all about God. And everything that we do in our life should never be about us. It should always be about the glory of God. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today of the, an account that we're so familiar with. Lord. Maybe we put a little different spin on it today, Lord, and maybe it's just a repetition of something we heard before. But ultimately, Lord, we see that, yes, David was successful. You gave him what he needed, Lord, to defeat the enemy. It reestablished your name, your glory, your honor. But at the end, Lord, we also recognize David did not take credit. He gave you the glory. Lord, today I pray for all of us in our lives that we live and the things that we do. Lord, lives get busy and sometimes we do things to impress others. But we would move in a different way today, Lord, as we leave, to not be so impressive to others for fame and recognition upon ourselves, but to give you the glory. You equip us, Lord, with talents and we have certain gifts, Lord, we can use for your name and your glory and your honor. Let us today not be selfish about taking credit for things ourselves. Let us see the gift you've given us and use it for your, your glory, Lord. We thank you for how the story today ultimately teaches us that, that truth. Thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.